And I, I think they took they took the bits of their character that allowed them to be that big in the book, but they and they kept them, but then they put them in tiny boxes. <laughs> You always say, hey, maniacs. Yeah. Like you're a maniac. <laughs> a rootin' tootin' maniac. A rootin' tootin' maniac. <laughs> we just met a maniac. We did. We did. We had a we had a friend of a friend who listens to the show who listened Linda. to the, Linda. Hey Linda. Linda. Hey Linda. Who knew about the show before she knew our friend. But anyway, there's yeah. all, all this weirdness. But uh, super nice lady. Yeah. Super nice. I gave her a sticker. Yep. And I said, we got to go record. And she's like, I'm going to go let you record. Yep. And this, this is, is uh, Mystery Maniacs. A comedy recap podcast dedicated <laughs> to British mystery TV. Each week, we dig into an episode of a show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week, we're covering Miss Marple, Season 5, Episode 1, The Pale Horse. <laughs> Witchcraft and murder and Spanish fly. Yeah. Now, just to get it right off the top, the marple in this episode is... Is Julia McKenzie. So she is the the most recent marple. Yes. She was in a midsummer. Down among the dead men. Yes. Ruby Wilmot. She she was in a midsummer. Yes. I think we called her marple through that episode. I think we did. (laughs) I really like her. I mean, there's there's not a marple I don't like. I think Julia McKenzie does a great job. She's got very bright eyes, which I always associate with Miss Marple. That she's always looking around. I do too. And I think she actually knows how to knit. I she may so. have learned how to knit to do this, but that's one of the ways I evaluate a Marple is, is she pretending to knit? Yes. Or does she actually know how to knit? It's like when I see a guitar player yeah. on television, yeah. I'm like, which I that think we've talked about before. Does not know how to play guitar. Yeah. This is a spoiler podcast. And if you let your kids go to strange pubs in England, watch on, people be burned. Watch people be burned. They can handle this podcast. They can handle the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast does has, have a little, like, if we had little, little kids, explaining what Spanish fly was would be a weird thing. <laughs> it's such, oh, I can't believe how 70s it feels to say it. Yeah. Yeah, though it, we're jumping the gun here, but it has been in the news in the last few years, unfortunately, because Bill Cosby mentioned it. Yeah. Blech. Yeah. Yuck. Anyway, shake it off. Hey, buy some merch. The money's still going to charity. Yes. You want to contribute to that? Absolutely. Raising money for charity. And uh, the month of November is going to be Jonathan Creek. Yes. So watch episode one of Jonathan Creek. So this is coming out on the 31st of it's October. It's the most wonderful The most time wonderful time of, of year. Halloween. Year. Halloween. Like I don't have enough to do that day. Yes. <laughs> Just to let you know, like we have hundreds of people descend upon the house on Halloween. We're preparing for yes, 300 trick-or-treaters at and, least. And if you didn't see me post, it's in the show notes of this episode this week. We got featured in the newsletter for the whole university this week, and they did a nice little story on our decorations, and the podcast gets mentioned and stuff like that. So that'll be in the show notes if you missed it. And then next week is Jude Tindall, that interview. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mm -hmm. us and actually see a decent picture of us. Yeah. 
that, that's in there. And then we're going to talk to Jude Tyndall next week, and that'll be on the 7th of November. Yep. We'll get that episode out. And to then you. after that, three weeks of Jonathan Creek. Three weeks of Starting Jonathan Starting with Creek. episode one, season one. So get the that The Wrestler's watched. Tomb. Yes. I love that episode. I love them all, but I love the Wrestler's Tomb that episode. That house is yep. amazing. It's worth watching the episode just to see the house. Yep. Absolutely. Are you but ready? We're doing The Pale Horse. Yes. This is originally broadcast on the 30th of August, 2010. Mm -hmm. We probably saw it. Yes. Right around then. Directed by Andy Hay and written by Russell Lewis. And this is one of those made-for-TV versions of an Agatha Christie where one of our favorite characters, the recurring sleuths, is kind of shoehorned in. So Marple is not in the original story. No. But she's in this, this TV version of it. And I'm totally okay with that. But in the original, Mark Easterbrook is the central character with Ginger as kind of his sidekick. And then Ariadne Oliver is in it too, but she's sort of sage on the side. She's not like the key, a key character. But this okay. It's Mark Easterbrook okay. who's the key we're, character. We're going to... We're, we're spoiling this. Okay. Osborne is the killer. Mm-hmm. Not Ozzy. Mm-mm. Another Osborne. Osborne's the killer. And this is one of those mystery shows in which the killer is kind of involved in the investigation right from the very start. Yeah. The first time you see this, like the first time I saw this episode, I'd never seen it. And I had read the book a million years ago. So you forgot that he was the killer. I forgot that he was the killer. So when they were gonna when venerables was being accused i was like oh yes it's that bad man in the wheelchair right there he's the bad man neil's the bad man and then i was like oh it's osborne see when i when i watched it i knew he was the killer and i thought they're gonna stay true to that that's something that not many writers will change for a screenplay is who the bad guy is and i'm just so nervous for marple that she's out and about with him yeah when he's the killer and you know it and she kind of knows it. Yeah. And then she knows it. She's so brave. That that section of the show I entitled A Series of Boondoggles. Yes. Because a number of boondoggles are going yes. on at once. It's like Inception of Boondoggles. It is, <laughs> that may be the episode title <laughs> right there. Inception of Boondoggles. We're it's, also talking about this 2010 version, not the 96 version, mm. and not... The more the, recent Rufus Sewell version. The R- Rufus Sewell version. Though I recommend that one. I really like it. I know that some people have panned it, but I re- but I like Rufus Sewell a lot. Okay, so. Rufus Sewell is fantastic. If you if you've never seen Cold Comfort Farm, you got to go watch it. Like Cold Comfort Farm, just for Rufus. Right away, first of all, is just fantastic, Rufus. Mm-hmm. And then, second of all. They changed the story, and I'm completely okay with that also because those things happen. Mm-hmm. Like, but not everybody likes it. The Telegraph said that it was a rat filled kitchen sink of a rewrite of ah! Agatha Christie. Ah! Wow. That's rough. That person is just going for sensationalism and their negative critique. I think it was fun. It was spooky. It was certainly more spooky. Mm -hmm. And it certainly dealt with unconscious toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a topic that is valid to put in that story. Yep. Absolutely. Agatha Christie would have been fine with that. Yeah, I think think that that sort of thing she would have been more than okay with. But we're talking about this one, which starts in London on a foggy night. It's a foggy fog. 
right? It's totally an exorcist-looking knight. And there's a vicar. A priest. Yes. And their names said over and over. Okay, here we got to get this out of the way. Mm-hmm. What is Marble's relationship to this priest? Because every time his name gets mentioned, she kind of gets all dreamy. Well, th- okay, so here's what we don't know. So they met during the Great War. Mm-hmm. So World War One. he was a soldier. He was injured. Yeah. She was a nurse. She took care of him. What yeah. we don't know is if he was up already a priest. No, we don't. He and may we not already have know. been. We already know from this series of, of Marple that she has a thing for soldiers who get on trains. <laughs> if he wasn't a priest, or even if he was, she may have just had a soft spot for him. Like, and you know, in another life, maybe they would have had a romance. But she clearly respects him a lot and cares for him a lot. And his death puts her on the path. That's, that's the whole reason why she cares. I think that little moment... At the end of the episode where she's walking away, mm-hmm. she's thinking about him. Yeah, she's thinking, I done right by him. Yep. I've got justice for Gorman. Yeah. And now we have bearded women. No, wait. <laughs> so he gets called to a boarding house where a woman is dying to do the last rites for her. Mm-hmm. Um, Mrs. Davis, Mrs. Davis, sorry. And she's reciting the names over and over again. And after, without looking at your notes, tell me what names from her list stick in your head. Okay, there's Heskett Dubois. Mm-hmm. There's one that's an alliteration, like Fanny Farmer. but Thomasina then, Tuckerton. Thomasina Tuckerton. That's all. Not, I, those are the only ones that stay with you? Yeah. Yeah. So it's Omarad, Sanford, Parkinson, Heskett Dubois, Shaw, Hermansworth, Tuckerton, Corrigan, and Delafontaine. Oh, that's... And I, I looked these up to find the origins of the names, and it's such a good mix of like Irish names and Welsh names and English names of high class names and French inspired names. It's a very egalitarian list. Having created character names, it's incredibly difficult. And where she did really well here in the original book, some of the witches names are not the best. (laughs) Yeah, but what it tells us is that these murders are egalitarian, like people from, you know, lower classes and higher classes both have made use of this service. Yeah. Right? I think so. Which tells us a lot about what's going on. It, it kind of sets the stage a little bit. So she's she's dying. She's got this list. She wants to give it to the priest so the priest can do something with it and, and stop the wickedness. Because now she's realized Mrs. Davis has put the pieces together and she knows she's played a part. And Paul Osborne appears here and is tries to be helpful. Yeah. He so um Paul Osborne is played by JJ Field and he's an American. Okay. But he does such a good British he accent. Does. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't know it. He reminds me so much of Jude Law. He has a real Jude Law. He looks like Jude, Jude Law a bit. Yeah. But meanwhile, Marple is at home on this dark and stormy night listening to Macbeth on the radio. Yes. And she knows every line. She of does. Of course she does. Of course. Thus to mine eyes, now o'er the half, one half world. Nature seems dead and wicked dreams abuse. The curtained sleep witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings and withered murderer. Hecate. Hecate. And that's Macbeth, right? Macbeth's coming to see them. because This is act two, scene one. So he's already killed some people by this point yeah. in time. What we also hear during that is Banquo's line about the witches. Yeah. 
And he says, you should be women, and yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so. There's all this stuff about why the witches have beards. All these scholars have dug into this crap. See, my high school teacher said, it's just their long hair. He thinks they're beards. (laughs) Okay, whatever. There's all this interpretation about... Oh, well, there were bearded women in kind of the pop culture of the time that Shakespeare was writing this. I think it's really obvious. I think they're postmenopausal women who have a little bit of hair on their chinny chins. They don't have a good mirror and some tweezers. Yeah, I think it has to do with their age. And they're old. And, you know, classically, witches are women who are no longer valuable. Yep. They can't breed anymore, so they're not they're not valued by society, so they must be witches. And these witches are always older women here. And yeah, in the, Macbeth. The, they're crones. The Hecate, the Hecate. The, the three the triumvirate, mm-hmm. like in Sandman, appear very differently. In the witching hour, the DC comic from the seventies, they appear very differently. Well, you usually see a, a three women who are at different stages of life. So That's, one's young and beautiful, yep. and one is a little bit older and wise, and then there's the old crone nasty yep. one, right? Yeah. That's, That's like usually, the Morrigan, yeah. right? And and it all comes from the Morrigan. I just I just love the idea that, oh well, you know, it, it, but it was it was understood at the time that if you said witches, people saw women in their head people would see women with beards with little beards because it's if you look at the pictures in the malleus maleficarum yep the witch finding guide yes that they talk about later yes all the witches have little beards because they're old older women i can see that they just need some tweezers dudes yeah step back (laughs) father gorman's really quick at writing letters yes he is and apparently he's got special postal powers to get letters to the middle of the countryside overnight. With Shebang. the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised that he makes it to the front page of the newspaper overnight. Because, you know, at this time, newspapers are like, hold the presses. We got a hot story. So Kosh boys attack priests. So, yes. it. Okay. This newspaper is a freaking gold mine. <laughs> Sarah is it came a real and talked newspaper? To, uh, yes. Is the I, name of the newspaper a real newspaper? I did not want to pay the $79 to get the exact newspaper because okay. I know the exact newspaper okay. to see what they blotted out. Okay. Because they replaced some of the stories of a real front page with fictional yes. stories, right? Yes. Yeah. It's another one of those days where I come into the music room and you are leaning into your monitors like you're a blind man. <laughs> Staring. <laughs> looking at a newspaper on screen. So... For the first stop in our wonderful journey of this newspaper. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first stop on our newspaper, we're going to end up with Joan Collins. Okay. So the Kosh Boy Menace. Do you know what Kosh Boys are? Yeah, they hit people over the head with Koshes. Yes. Uh, male youths in World War II po- uh, delinquent gangs who wore stylized Edwardian fashions. <laughs> Typically known as Kosh Boys or Edwardians, which later became shortened to Teddy Boys. Ah, uh, That's yeah. where you get Teddy Boys okay. come from. And there is a movie in that was released in, this would be 1953, a film noir that stars a very young Joan Collins. Wow. Uh, called The Kosh Boy. It's available, the whole thing's available on uh, YouTube, but she's in the movie poster, but... So did the Kosh Boys come out of World War II or did they take advantage of World War II? They came after World okay. War II, so... Because this is 1955 that this marble is set in. Yes. 
Then we have like an article about French rewards policy or something. And then the next article sent me down a very deep rabbit hole. Oh, guys, this is such an incredible story. This is so crazy. (laughs) The next story is where it really gets interesting. The title is Daughter of Lord Lansdowne Badly Hurt. I'm like, I got to be able to find this. And it mentions a shooting in the article. And Lord Lansdowne is a real person. Lord Lansdowne is a real person. So I find her. That's Lady Caroline Margaret Petty Fitzmorris. And in September of 1956, she died from a shooting accident. A shooting accident. Okay. Okay. So I'm reading her Wikipedia page and I get this line, which is she, like her mother, died of a shooting accident. So I go one level up. This is fishy now. I go one level up and I find out about... Catherine Evelyn Constance Petty Fitzmorris, who died from a shooting accident in her own home. Oh, not hunting. No, she was in the house. She's like cleaning her guns or something. Yeah. So this poor man's wife and daughter both got shot. Okay. But he should be used to it by then because his father... And his father's father both got killed in World War II. And a cousin or something, like, right? Like, within a week of each other. Like, he's the only living man in the family or something. <laughs> yeah, wasn't his dad, like, wasn't his uncle Lord Lansdowne for, like, nine days? Something Or like something, that. and yeah, then he died like, and his brother took the title? Like, that's a bad, it's a cursed title. Don't be Lord Lansdowne. I certainly wouldn't be touching any guns if no. I'm in that family. Oh, my God. I'd be outlawing them they are not allowed in the estate what a story so when the so this so the real story happened in 56 but this is set in 55 so they've taken it a little bit out of time right but when this headline comes out she's just been injured yeah but we know she's gonna die of that injury oh boy there's not many like i i was I was literally scared to look at the most recent people in this family because <laughs> I didn't want to hear about more tragedy. Like, are there any living ones now? Are they like anti-gun activists? <laughs> uh, other headlines include Bolshoi visits hopes uh, renewed. So they're trying to get the Bolshoi the, uh, ballet to come to okay. America. And an advertisement for Pem- Parmaco Transformers, a company that still exists. Okay. That makes like parts of electrical circuits and electric Mo- engines. Like motors? Yeah. So this is during the era where everything wasn't already motorized and yep. people were motorizing things themselves. Yep. So you've got people with like big electric motors or, or engines yep. with belts running here and there doing things on the farm and stuff, right? <laughs> right for a price list of wireless mains apparatus. That's not dangerous. <laughs> it, the the ad I have that I'll put in the show notes is Parmaco for the serious amateur. <laughs> Our apparatus bearing the name Parmaco is practically laboratory apparatus, exceptionally well designed and made from the best materials. I'd love to know what people use them for. Oh, there must be so many crazy super, things out yeah. there that people use those motors to do. <laughs> Ugh. And now we have what I feel should be the actual episode title, The Dr. Kerrigan and Inspector Lejeune Show. Can we talk about the title first? Okay, yes. Not the pale horse, just the font. Yeah. 
So this is of a season. I think there are three seasons. What were they thinking? I think there were three seasons. And this is like... The credits are in something that looks really a lot like Comic Sans. Yes. Which is wrong. And we'll, we'll put a picture in the in the show notes. But the titles are... It's like the six days are... I don't know. They're like funny fonts. I can tell I, you... I don't understand. I can tell you exactly what happened. So this is 2010. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that, in the same way this happened to magazine publishing and comic book publishing in the 90s, this happened in the 2010s in production. What, they got access to too many fonts? They got access. (laughs) And they made bad bad choices. Premiere and Final Cut allowed access to more things that looked, titles that looked, were available. Yeah. And so you get weird titles here. I don't know what tone these things are supposed to be in. Yeah. And most people probably looked right past it. But I'm telling you, look at the screenshot that I took. Yeah. When you really look at them, you're going to be like, what? Yeah. 20, <laughs> 2000 to 2010 on television, the titles went nutsy bubble. <laughs> and the same thing had happened to magazine publishing. If you look at magazines like really cutting edge design magazines in the 1990s, you're mm. like, ugh. Yeah. Because it's the first time they had computers and they yeah. were figuring it out. So they they got too and many the options. The same thing happened to move to television production in that. And that's why they look like that. Because, well, they're crazy. Because they could. Yeah. Somebody was like, let's put that title on. So Inspector Lejeune and Dr. Kerrigan. I love them. They're both very well-known actors. They're played by, let's see... Jason Jason Merrills is Dr. Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. You would know him from Agatha Raisin. He yep. was also in The Ghost of Costin Abbey in A Midsummer. Yep. And Inspector Lejeune is played by Neil Pearson. He was in Dark Secrets, uh, Midsummer. He's been in lots of other things. They're like bit parts practically in this episode, but they eat the scenery when they're in but it. But they also look like they're the lead actors. They, oh, yeah. obvi- they obviously think they're the lead. Yeah, I think they got a different <laughs> script. Because Dr. Kerrigan walks up to him, and in the hallway, he says to Lejeune, I've unseamed your padre for you from knave to chops. Yeah. Like, that's how you describe an autopsy? Of a padre. I've unseamed the print, I the, wondered, the priest. I wondered if that line was in the... the if he made it up. <laughs> because because in, uh, we hate to do this, but in the book, Marble's not there. So they are more prominent yes. in the book. Yes, yes. And I, I think they took they took the bits of their character that allowed them to be that big in the book, but they and they kept them, but then they put them in tiny boxes <laughs> for this episode. Because <laughs> I love Lejeune. Lejeune is so great he, at going. He's great. You need to stay away from this. He knows she's not going to. But you need to tell me so. <laughs> When when the, she, they when, needed the shot of when Marble's going, oh, I gotta go. The pips and yeah. hangs up the phone. They needed the shot of Lejeune, like yeah, whatever. <laughs> you have to remember this is an audio medium. People can't see the face you're making. <laughs> when she calls him and admits that she has the list that she found in the shoe, he goes, "That's evidence." <laughs> and she goes, "I know." Anyway. And, <laughs> Every time he says to her, you have to stop. And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he asks her a question. And then he, yeah, then he wants what she knows. It's a shame that Dr. Kerrigan isn't in more of it. 
Yeah. I like the two of them. Yeah, so do I. I think when they, Christy could have written more with the two of when them. When they're doing the discussion of the names, that is some great procedural investigation writing portrayal right there. There are so many people on that list that never get mentioned again. Nope. We basically focus on two of them. Hesketh Dubois. Hesketh Dubois and Tuckerton. And Thomasina the rest of them. <laughs> what an unfortunate name. The rest of them are just like, yeah, they died too. Anyway. Yes. All those poor people. So we find out that Mrs. Davis was in customer research. So okay. they had annoying door-to-door people even back then. Yes. So let's go through this whole plan so that we can talk about Like it. how it really worked. Yeah. So what happens is if I'm unhappy with someone in my life and I wish to have them co- killed. Let's say you, you want to knock me off. Yes. You want to get rid I of me. I would go to Mr. Barker. Mm-hmm. Who is fantastic, but we'll get to him. Played by Bill Patterson. Again, big actor. Tiny box. Big actor, tiny box. You would go Uh, to him and you would place a bet. I place a bet. On whether I would die by Christmas. That I bet Sarah doesn't die before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And he would say, I bet she does. How much is it worth to you? By the way, let's hope that this is not one of those weird episodes that suddenly become an unsolved (laughs) mystery 10 years from now. Anyway, and he bets that you will. We make a bet for, I love how it's not discussed how yeah. much money. Let's say $1 million. $1 million. Yes. Okay. Then he calls the ladies of the pale horse. Yes. And they invite me there. Yes. To bring something of mine, a pair of my underwear. Yes. Or something. <laughs> and they perform the ritual that is supposed to curse me. So I yeah. will die by Christmas. Yes. Meanwhile, Osborne has gets called, the, had... Uh, a customer care representative call around. Yes, because he gets the name from Barker too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Meanwhile, he, and then he has a customer in- inquisitor come around yes. to question you about, question me about what kind of creams and products I use. Then Osborne, And I say, I use soap on my face. And then Osborne comes in pretending, pretending to, be to be a meter reader. A hot water he- repairman. Our hot water heater exploded the other day. Um, and puts poison in my face soap. So Osborne doesn't, Osborne is the only one who kills you directly. Yes. The ladies don't know. They think they have, but yeah. they got nothing to do with it. And Barker is... Scot-free, supposedly. So when I die from the poisoned face soap, then I pay. Over then you my, gotta pay up the million dollars to Barker. I love how Barker's like, Miss Marple's like, well, what happens if 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 I, I don't, don't pay? pay? And he's like, that would be very bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. I don't even want to know. You about just that. threatened a Marple right yep. there. Yeah, but he's so cool. Like you know. Of course you need to think about it. Go away, think about it. Of course you don't want to tell me your she real name. She says the pale horse joke, and he all, he's so natural. Oh, yeah. He laughs. So, like, he, it was like she didn't give him the 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 lines that she was going to give him. Yeah. He acts surprised and looks actually surprised. Like, and then oh, laughs it oh, off. You're oh, clever. Oh, you're clever. Yes. You're quite the dark horse yourself. Like, that wordplay... Has to be straight from Christie. Mm-hmm. I'm betting it's straight from Christie. And then that money go. I'm sure Barker takes a cut. Yeah. And then it goes back to Osborne. Yeah. Right. And the ladies at the at the inn take a cut. They get a little bit of money, but not a lot. So the reason why the ladies are the inner involved is so that they have no idea how the bet works. They are the implausible scapegoat. Yes. Right. The only way you. 
could go to the police and say, oh my gosh, Sarah actually died. These witches did it, right? Because you couldn't blame it on anything else. And the police would go, witches can't kill her. Yes. They were at this inn in the middle of nowhere. Yep. They never met your wife. Yep. They were never near her. They could not have done it. Yep. And she died of natural causes. So curse schmerce. Yeah. So he uses thallium to kill them all, Mm -hmm. which is certainly something that was in the news in the 50s. Yeah. Agatha Christie loved her poison. She knew what she was talking about. Now, how thallium could be used as a ringworm ointment on a dog? Like, wouldn't the dog lick it off and then die? I didn't like the ringworm part. It's nasty. Yes. But it, because you get a little bit over time in your face cream or whatever, your creme de visage. Yes. Um, your cold cream. I've never understood cold cream. How women could go to bed with all that muck on their face. You get a little bit of dose over time, so you should die slowly. Yes. Right? Not suddenly. Yeah. And your hair falls out. Your hair falls out. And it, so it mimics lots of other things. Yeah. So that's how it happens. So, of course, these women at the Pale Horse think they're super powerful. Yes. Which is just a big joke on them. I love Sybil. What do you mean? People actually died? What? I thought it was just for fun. So what do you make of Mrs. Gray, the proprietrix? I have a little embarrassing story here. So our friend, Alistair... Beckett King. Beckett King. He's not our friend. He's one of the lore men. They were on our podcast once. And he's awesome. He's awesome. He has a video about folk horror. We wish he was our friend. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, he, he has it down. Yeah, and we put that in the show notes a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And literally the offshoot of this is weird things happen in a, in a village and underneath it all is a subtext of sex. Oh yes, it's always because of sex. <laughs> so everything Mrs. Gray says for like the first half of the episode sounds like, like an innuendo. Sex. Yes. <laughs> is there anything else I can help you with? Sex. <laughs> Like, it appears like 60 times. Because if Marple was a man, it would sound like Mrs. Gray was saying, we have prostitutes in the hotel. Is that why you've come? Yes. But because it's a woman, it's something else she's talking about. But she's like, I I assumed that you were here because you were looking for us for our services. Sex. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sure you don't need any... Other things? Yeah, sex. Yeah. And then Sybil shows up because you can almost laugh it up with Mrs. Gray, but then Sybil shows up and she's like, sexity, sex, sex. Yeah, she is the sex that walks in the room. Unlike Bella. Moly, 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 moly. Casting director. So did you- Get me the most haggish looking, overweight, grumpy looking actress we can find. Did you catch Bella's name in the book? No. Okay. Her, she's got a crazy name in the book. Bella's name in the book is Webb. She is Bella Webb. Mm-hmm. Like, dude. She's played by Jenny Galloway, yeah. who is a very nice woman and yeah. smiles a lot. But man, can she look stern when she wants to. She's the only real witch in the village. Yeah. I think the witches are slightly better in the newer version. Oh, in the Rufus Soul yeah, version? The Rufus yeah. Soul version. They're, they're definitely more threatening. Yeah, they Like, are. I don't want to meet Bella because I think she'd beat me up. Yeah, definitely. So, And Sybil Stamfordis, she's played by Susan Lynch. Yeah. Who, my favorite role of hers is she's in Waking Ned Divine, which yes. is one of my favorite movies Waking, of all time. Yep. If you've never seen it, stop listening to us and go watch Waking Ned Divine. It will renew your faith in humanity. And it's just The elevator wonderful. pitch is a young man. 
an older man who shares a lottery ticket with some other people dies. And and there's the a, there's an old naked guy on a bike at one point. Yeah, it's, it's just it's so all fun. Fantastic. It's wonderful. So there's Sybil and Thurza Gray. What kind of name is Thurza? Yeah. Well, Kanga. And we'll get to that. Poor Kanga. <laughs> poor Kanga. Yeah, so they're the witches and and they they think they're killing people yes. and they're fine with that. <laughs> they're disappointed when they find out they're not. What do you mean we're not killing people? I thought we were killing people. I think Bella's pretty aware that she's killing people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Belle is probably the most distraught that she's not. Yeah. But when, when Mrs. Gray says, I'm the proprietrix. Yes. Sex. <laughs> you thought that because it sounds like dominatrix. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Are you here for the burning? <laughs> what? <laughs> is there a rash or something going around? Oh, it's that ringworm cream. I bet you that burns. Spanish fly burns. <laughs> See, the witches here are the right order. You have a young one, a middle one, and an old one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then out of nowhere, Neil in a wheelchair. <laughs> you say Neil because that was his character in The Young Ones. Yes. But he's played by Nigel Planer. Nigel Planer. Nigel who is fantastic. Nigel Planer, who has spoken into my ears for hundreds of hours. Yep. Because he narrates all of the first audiobooks of the Terry Project Discworld series. Yes. I have listened to this man's voice so much that I could I could dream his voice. And if you watch the young ones, you would not recognize this human being. Oh my gosh. The same person. He's so funny in it though. He's such a great actor. Because he does this part so well. Yeah. And he does Neil in the young ones so well. So Venables, he's not Venerables, by no, the way. He's, he's Venables. Venables. <laughs> he's very wealthy and has a huge estate where he lives, and yet he just hangs out yeah. in the bar at the Pale Horse because he hates it there. He's <laughs> one of those people <laughs> like who Linus. likes to go out and complain about people, but he goes out. I guess he can't be grumpy enough at home. Yeah. But when the ladies go to see him, he's, he's very happy. nice. He's very happy. I love he says, two's a company, three's a coven. Yes, <laughs> That might be the best line of the episode. Two's a company, three's a company. I couldn't find that anywhere. I looked yeah. to see if that was a, a reference to something. That's I couldn't find super it anywhere. Good. All right, let's talk about the cottons. Yeah. Okay. Does he burn down the Cotton's house? No. No, I don't think so either. No. I think he wants to buy it. Yes. Because he has a lot of money and he likes to buy things. Well, and I think the Cotton's are preoccupied by something else. Cotton. Cotton, sorry. But I don't think he has any motive to, to burn part of their house. I mean, no. if he wants to buy it, why would he burn it down? I don't know. But so that Spanish fly stuff that they've been using could easily have burnt down the house. So it's Captain Captain Cotton and yeah. his wife, Kanga. Kanga! <laughs> Because she's Australian, apparently. So she's just Kanga. Kanga! Is her name Kangaroo? Is it short for Kangaroo? Hey, Aussie. We're just going to call you Aussie. Two's and, a pair and three's a Kanga. And their housekeeper. Yes. Miss Har Mrs. Harsnet, who was the wife of the vicar. And the vicar dies. Yeah. Why is Kanga okay with the housekeeper having sex with her husband basically every day? Because I think she is unable to. Okay, no, <laughs> that's not, that doesn't make it all right. Okay. I can't satisfy his needs, so our housekeeper does, and that's I'm, fine with me. Uh, I'm not saying. She clearly loves him a lot, and I think he cares for her too, but they don't even hide it very well. When the three of them are out and about, Mrs. Harsnett's like touching him and like brushing stuff off his shoulder and at least pretend a little bit. 
yeah. Vicar's wife. Come they, on. They need something more. And maybe it shows up in the book more that of why that's happening. Why it's okay. Because she is, Kanga's completely okay with it. Yeah. Cause she says he takes a nap from every day from two to four, which means he has sex with our housekeeper every day from two to four. Yeah. <laughs> and she's all right with that. Don't let, don't let the housekeeper come in while my husband is having sex with our housekeeper. Yeah. It is weird. Very weird. But they also contribute to the sex. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Mrs. Harsnett is played by Sarah Alexander, who will we would see if, if we were watching later episodes of Jonathan Creek in November. Um, yeah. But she's also Fliss Inkpen Thomas yeah. in Garden of Death and Midsummer. Yeah. It's one of those names, the Inkpen Thomases. Yes. It sticks with you. So there's that weirdness. And then there's Mark Easterbrook. Who yes. is the ne- the godson of Hesketh Dubois, who has died? Who worked with Lejeune in the war? They were in the military and together. That interaction is so perfect when they meet on the street because Lejeune worked for the crew, mm-hmm. and Mark flew. Yeah, he was clearly like a. Um, a and it's clear that Lejeune looks up to him. Yeah. And there's a moment. Easterbrook was an officer. Yeah. And there's a moment yeah. later on where Lejeune goes, that's as likely as if I could fly. Mm-hmm. And he means that he couldn't fly those planes. Yeah. He had to work ground crew. Yeah. And that all of that guilt about not being in the war, being fighting. He was in the Air Force. He mm-hmm. was. I'm sure he wanted to fight, fly planes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he wanted to be a gunner or something. But for some reason, they didn't allow him. And that has to be a hard job, getting those planes ready and watching people fly away to die. For sure. And that whole relationship is done so perfectly. You get it. With In 30 seconds. With no, like... Explanation, explanation or, any, yep. or anything. No, you just see it. And Easterbrook, he is just as likely to be the smarmy killer, right? When you first meet him, because he's very polished. He's in Hesketh Dubois' house, even though she's dead. He's just her godson. Yeah. And right? I'm going to say- He answers the phone for her. I'm going to say that it is not beyond reason that, that Rufus Sewell watched this version and took some things from mm-hmm. this Mark Easterbrook. Yeah. So Easterbrook is a historian yep. and a professor, maybe. I would assume. An author. I think there is mention of classes. There is a yeah. mention of books. He's definitely into books. Speaking of books, Marple just rifles through the registration book of at the hotel. <laughs> and when Sybil comes out, she's like, oh, I was just seeing how busy you were in the spring. Whatever, old lady. <laughs> but that's that's absolute Marple. Yeah. I'm just an old lady. I'm of no threat to you. Yeah. Whatever I'm doing, you shouldn't be bothered by because I'm just an old lady. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. That's where we get the phone call. I went through the hotel register and you can hear Lejeune yeah. going, oh my God. Woman, will you stop it? <laughs> the pips. And it's not that he's not willing to investigate. He is. Yeah. She's just one step ahead of him all yes. the time because she just went directly there. Yeah. <laughs> To much deeping, which is much deep in it. <laughs> and he, he he even says, he goes, I can't just show up here. Right. Because he there are reasons he can't step on the toes of the local yeah. police, but she can. <laughs> she has a great line in the phone booth where she goes, I'm afraid that would be an untruth. Yeah. It's like, don't tell me you've done this, this, this. And she's like, well, I'm not going to lie. So I can't say that. Sorry. <laughs> not sorry. Got to go by. Yeah. <laughs> 
can't hear you. Sorry. Click. Then we get we get Ginger. Ginger shows up. So Ginger, th- this is one of these great but believable. Wow, these people are connected in coincidental ways. Mm-hmm. So Ginger is the friend of. of- Tuckerton. Thomasina Tuckerton. The heiress. I think Thomasina Tuckerton's stepmother is a moron. Yeah. She just leaves Barker's business <laughs> card sitting on a table by the phone. At least um, Mark Easterbrook's Heska Dubois' niece and nephew, because they're the ones who killed her. Right. At least they didn't leave incriminating evidence lying around yeah. at the funeral. Like like a business card that said, you know, Thomasina on it. Yes. <laughs> This is the guy who will get Thomasina killed. Just a little note for myself here. So I remember who this guy is. <laughs> Whatever. Can you imagine, though, that woman, the woman who plays her stepmother, sitting through Sybil's flailing around on the floor? Oh, my she God. She must have been rolling her eyes so hard you could yep. hear it. Absolutely. <laughs> In the midst of all of this crazy... Is the burning. The burning. Right? And Osborne- I know who we can burn. A television personality. (laughs) Wait. Osborne has told Marple that he saw the person who coshed Father Gorman. Yes. And that he had longer hair and a a scar on his face. She sees Venables and she's like, hmm, I wonder if that's him. So she doesn't know that Osborne's bad. So she says, hey. I think she knows Osborne's bad before- I think it's after this that she that it clicks in her head. You don't know for sure when Marple knows. She's wily. She so is. you never know. But she calls him and says, I want you to come and see this man and tell me if this is the person you saw. Yes. So he's like lurking around the, the burning, burning and sees Venables and then sleeps in his car. Guess. After sitting outside by the bonfire that was just left alone in the middle of town. I know, I know. (laughs) It brings in the tourists. That same morning when she finds him sleeping in his car the next day, and he says, yes, that's who I saw, which is unbelievable because the guy can't walk. But anyway, Kanga and the captain are walking their ringworm dog down the street. Yes. And there is a house in this village. I have the picture up. That is amazing. (laughs) His house? I saw it when I was going through the episode looking for something today. I was like, whoa. I saw it the first time I saw this, yeah. this episode. I was like, that house is awesome. So it's a it's a white stucco exterior, but it has these black wooden shapes attached to it. And not like a Tudor house where it's like the architecture peeking through no. and, and it's painted black. No. It's ornamental to the max. It's like a gingerbread house. Yeah. I don't know. If anybody knows where this house is, yeah. or if there are other houses like it, let us know. We'll post the picture in the show yeah. notes. It's. I wish we got to see more of it. It's yeah. amazing. They walk past this house in the back. I tried to find out where it was. I could not find it. So yeah. anyhow. Okay. So Osborne, the killer, yeah. has come to point the finger at Venables yep. and hang out because now he's pretending to help Marple, though he's really the killer. Do you think he's giggling inside at all of this? That he's like, do you think he's one of those killers? I better be close to the investigation so I can see what's going on. Or do you think he thinks it's amusing that Miss Marple is like trying to solve the murder and she's never going to figure it I out? I don't think he thinks she's a threat until um, he gets to there a second time. Mrs. Gray. No. Bella sells Spanish fly. Yes. To Mrs. Harsnett. Yes. She's dealing in it. Why does he need it? Where does she get the Beatles? Where does Bella get the Beatles? <laughs> 
Why is Spanish Fly so incredibly horrific? Let's talk about it first. Oh my gosh. Spanish Fly is supposed to be an aphrodisiac. Yep. It's made from a beetle called the blister beetle. Yes. That should tell you everything you need to know. Everything hey, you don't need eat to... it. It yeah. oozes this this chemical from its mouth and from its joints. Yeah. Ew. If you Okay, if you read the Wikipedia article for Spanish fly and or this bug, which is sometimes known as the Spanish fly. Even though it's not Spanish or a fly. Or the chemical. Mm -hmm. All of those things are horrific. Yes, yes. Just horrific. The whole idea that it is an aphrodisiac comes from the fact that it causes almost immediate inflammation and swelling. Yes. That is not excitement. That guy is not excited. He's inflamed. And I remember. And about to break out in blisters. And people can tell me I'm wrong, but this is what I remember. I remember it being marketed in adult magazines mm -hmm. to give to women. Yeah. Why would you give this to a woman? Yeah. But like you could put it in her drink and it would it would uh, increase her libido. Yeah. Or kill her, you know. Or kill her. The Marquis de Sade killed like five people with it unintentionally. Yeah. But he probably didn't mind. But here's the best thing I know about Spanish fly. You ready for okay. this? In ancient China, they mixed the beetles with human excrement, arsenic, and wolfsbane to make the world's first stink bomb. Wow. <laughs> So not only would it would it light fire and smoke and smell really It'd bad. It'd be like tear gas. It would make you. It would, yeah. It would like break you out in blisters all over. It was hor It was like chemical warfare. It wasn't just a stink bomb is an understatement. And yeah. apparently it tastes super vile. And yeah. he just like drinks it and goes, hey, baby, yeah. kiss me. I'm that, like, that reenactment is weird. Everybody in that reenactment, everyone in the room, every part of the actor, <laughs> every part of the writing, everyone is uncomfortable in yes. that scene. You're like, she's the vicar's wife. Why is she here? Where is Kanga? And he kind of like almost turns to her and does a whack a whack a whack yeah. with his hands. <laughs> like tune in Tokyo. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> He's like, like he almost twirls his mustache going, we're going to have the sexy sex now. No, you're just going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. We totally just glossed over the fact that the woman playing uh, Goody Karn, yes. the, witch being, the witch being burned, is Holly Willoughby. Yes. Who was also in the occult episode of Midsummer yes. with the tarot cards. Yes. Playing her little bit part. Yes. She seems completely nonplussed. Yes. I don't know if she's acting or not. I don't know. Frankly. Either. They were like, can we get somebody well known who's got nice boobs to play this part? Yeah. And she just like rides along in a wagon and goes, whatever. It would have been it. fun to do that scene. It would have been. I would have been like, Marple's closing in, right? Now they get to do all of the boondoggles. Yes. So there's the boondoggle of her taking Osborne to Venable's house to see him getting up out of his wheelchair and walking around. Okay, no, no. The boondoggles begin before then. The first boondoggle is the weirdness that is Osborne coming into his hotel room and Marple and Ginger are there. And he's like, what are you guys doing here? He opens up the door and he's like, what are you doing here? So they pretend to have the fight that Bella sees, mm -hmm. okay, with the ring. Yeah. Okay. Ginger and Easterbrook that pretend is to be engaged. Boondoggle and break number up. one. Yeah. Then Easterbrook goes to see Barker. Boondoggle number two. 
Because he knows exactly what's well, going on. This is all the same boondoggle. Yeah. Easterbrook is going to place a bet and yeah. then do the deal with the witches. The witches get called and they do the boondoggle on Easterbrook, but Easterbrook's actually doing the boondoggle on them. It's double boondoggle. It's a boondoggle inception. <laughs> so let's talk about that room. <laughs> Before we get to that room, though, he gets, they all get invited to the inner sanctum of Mrs. Gray. Yes. Right? And they get to see all of her witchy magic stuff. Which is at the courthouse, but then is attached to the hotel. It's really weird where that is. Anyway. Yeah. It's in, it's her place. Yes. It's where they do the witchy woo-woo stuff. Yes. Right? It's got a big goat head with giant horns. Yes. And the most amazing rug ever. Yes. But we don't see the rug in the first time. But she's also got books. Yes. Right. So she's got the Malleus Maleficarum. Yes. Which is like the most... Famous witch hunting book ever. Yes. But the second one that she has is the Grimoire Sadochismus Triumphatatus. I did not say that right. Okay. But, they, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. This book I had never heard of. Okay. But it is the book of evidence that witches exist. This one. Yes. Is a whole bunch of evidence that witches are real. Well, yeah. And that's why we should hunt them down, right? Yeah. So it's full of stories of, see, witches. Witches. But the the gem of what it contains is the first story of a poltergeist. Nice. The drummer of Tedworth. Okay. Drummers at the best of times. (laughs) Are not poltergeists, though. No. But a drummer poltergeist, that could easily drive you insane. This story is hilarious. Okay. Are you ready? Lay it on. For me. the drummer of Tedworth. <laughs> the drummer of Tedworth. Who doesn't even, that doesn't even sound threatening. No. Right? Annoying. Annoying. I'll give you annoying. Okay. Super annoying if he's unrhythmical. You're moving ahead of me now. Okay. <laughs> so here's what happens. So John Maupassant. When is this? 1661. 1661. Okay. okay. John Maupassant is this landowner, excise officer, commissioned officer in the militia. Uh, He's a magistrate. Mr. Fancy Pants. He is Mr. Fancy Pants. Okay. He's visiting a village where he doesn't even live. Okay. 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 And there's this guy named William Drury. Okay. Who is a vagrant and a busker. Okay. Who has a drum. Okay. He plays his drum and begs for money. Okay. Okay. Montpassant is annoyed well, of course by Drury. Is. Yeah. Okay. He like confronts him and goes, I'm a magistrate. Yeah. Do you have a license to busk around here? And Drury gives him the license and it's a forgery. It's 1661. They're lucky to have paper. I know. But he's like, oh, this is fake. Yeah. I'm taking you to court. Okay. Okay. Even though he doesn't even live there. So he takes Montpassant to the local bailiff and says, this man is illegally busking. Yep. And the bailiff must have been like, Drury, what are you doing? We told you not to drum around the rich people when you stop, you know. Fine, I'll take his drum. Can Ringo Starr be played in (laughs) Yes, yes. You can imagine that Drury is Ringo Starr, okay? Okay. So they confiscate his drum. Okay. Montpassant is very happy with himself. Of course he is. Oh. And he, he goes home. Okay, goodbye. Right, to his big his big estate. Doesn't think about it again. However, in the meantime, the bailiff says, what the heck am I supposed to do with this stupid drum? I know, I'll send it to Montpassant. What? Right? So he packs it up, sends it off to the fancy guy's He's house. He's certainly not going to drum on a drum that's not there. Right. He's yep. like, you wanted him to stop drumming, you take it. Yep. 
because I'm sure the bailiff didn't want to have anything to do with it because yeah. Drury was just going to come back and ask for it every day yeah. or something, right? So he sends it off to Montpassant, who opens it up and he's like, ha ha, this is the drum I took off of that vagrant. Ha ha. He'll never drum again. There's like, you can't beat on st- other stuff yep. and make noise. Yeah. Right. As soon as the drum comes into his house, it begins to terrorize the family. Okay. All right. Okay, that sentence has never been said before. I know. I know. As soon as it gets there, they're plagued with nocturnal bangs and knocks. Bangs and knocks. Hammering on the doors and the walls from the roof. They hear thuds. So it's not like they're hearing a snare drum no. or something. It's just, you know. When this drummer plays the house, he really plays the house. Plays everywhere. Yep. Montpassant's starting to lose it. Yep. He's like, dang it, this drum is cursed. So he keeps moving it around the house. And wherever he moves it, yep, driving him crazy. Yeah. Right? So one night, he starts to, he, he just can't take it anymore. The drums are keeping him up. So he takes his, dr- his pistol out and he shoots the drum <laughs> like you're going to kill it. Right? Wow. A month passes. Okay. Drum's dead. Then it comes back. Oh. And it's double bad. Every night. All night. Oh. Everywhere. On the floor. On the walls. He's trying to sleep. All the time. Yeah. He's losing it. Right? Yeah. I can understand that. Then scratching. Now the drum's got friends. Uh-oh. Right? With yeah. claws. And yeah. they're scratching all over the house. The kids are shaken and lifted out of their beds and dumped in the floor. The whole family can't sleep. Two years this was going on. Wow. Nearly every night. Wow. And sometimes during the day, too. The the people who worked there, their servants were thrown out of their beds and knocking and all this stuff. Meanwhile, the drumming itself became so loud that neighbors started to hear it. Wow. So villagers would come and hang out to hear it. They would hear it from outside the house. Inside the house, they said lights were moving around on their own. It was just, it was horrible. On one occasion, a priest came. Uh Uh-oh. And stayed over and prayed over the kids' rooms and the drumming stopped. Okay. From there, okay. and move to another part of the house. Well, at least. You gotta get away from this priest, man. But as soon as they stopped praying, the drumming came back. <laughs> a blacksmith came to stay, um, and a pair of pinchers pinched him in the nose while he was trying to sleep all night. Wow. <laughs> he says the poltergeist was doing that. <laughs> and <laughs> I. The best thing about all this is that all of the people who came, so Glanville is the guy who wrote this book, right? And so he's the one taking down this story. And he went there. Yep. And he stayed at the house and he was like, I couldn't figure out what it was. It's not this. It's not that. It's not that. And it's certainly not the children because they're too morally pure to be deceptive. Children? Yeah, I can see that. It is now understood that all of it (laughs) Was the kids. All of it. So for two years, these kids were having an awesome time. Nice. Terrorizing their dad, who certainly was a jerk. Yeah. That he would take a vagrant to jail, basically, yep. and confiscate his drum. And be like, it was the kids. The kids did the whole thing. And that's how we got the Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> But that, that is like one of the wow. best known stories yeah. from this book that's like, look, there's evidence. There's witches. I saw it. I e- heard. Except for that there were those kids. If it weren't for those rascally kids. So most of that book has been 
obviously completely debunked. Yes. Because every story ends with, it could have been the kids. Yes. So we're in the room the second time. Oh my gosh, the big ceremony. I have in my notes, Marple needs more bongos. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of drums, (laughs) Thursa has her bongos. She she picks up that bongo, it's just amazing. Meanwhile, Belle is just chanting random Latin. Yes. What I want, you want the rug from this scene, I want Mrs. Gray's radio-controlled crystal ball. That thing is amazing. It's got knobs on it, and she, like, twirls the knobs and puts the glove on top of it, and there's a fog machine and stuff. (laughs) And meanwhile, Sybil's like, my job, roll around on the floor. Yes. Comfy pillows, I roll around. And moany moan. And do stuff in a deep voice, because I'm Bergerac or... Cognac or whatever. Mockendal. Mockendal. She claims to be the spirit of Mockendal, who was a Haitian voodoo priest, but and is still apparently associated with black magic now. Yep. Um, so this is from the 1750s. But he should be better known for a leader of Haitian independence. Yes, that's, that's what he was. That's far more important yeah. than the fact that he was a voodoo priest. All the, all the searches I did came up with a Haitian independent leader first. Yeah. So I mean, that's he what he should be known Freed as. slaves and stuff like that, yes. led the uprising. But apparently he was also a voodoo priest. So that's who Sybil channels. I'm Mockendal. No name. That Two more things about Bradley I want to talk about okay. just slightly. Okay. First of all, he says mutatus mutandis. Okay. He, d- he says that to... He is uh, a defrocked lawyer said, or yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he says that to Marple. Mm-hmm. And what that means is to compare two more cases or situations making necessary alterations while not affecting the main point. I don't understand. It's basically using um, like a, it's almost like a condescending comparison. Oh, okay. The sentence that is in the dictionary page of this on the internet may be the most condescending sentence I've ever read. <laughs> okay. I must speak this in a highfalutin. A library and a, in a dictionary voice? Yes. Okay. What is true of undergraduate teaching in England is equally true, mutatis mutandis, of American graduate schools. <laughs> okay. Like that like, is our graduate undergraduate teaching is roughly equivalent of your graduate schools. Wow. Wow. And you're extra poncy for using that Latin phrase in the middle of oh, the sentence too. Who would say that? I'm snobby snob, snobby snob snob. Being okay. snobby about snob snob. Here are some funny things you can bet on because I wanted to look up things, weird things you could actually bet on. Okay. Okay. UFOs existing or not. Okay, you can't bet on that. Yes, you can. That's a long bet. It's a long bet, but you can do it. You know that cheese rolling thing that they do in England? Yeah. The biggest thing about that is there are bets Oh, on. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Who's going to make it to the bottom of the hill and who's going to survive and who's going to win? And- a local weird sport like that called bog snorkeling? <laughs> You could bet on that. Bog snorkel is just a great word. Yes, bog snorkel. <laughs> a thing called pescapalo, which is the national sport of Finland, which is a kind of weird ball game. Okay. Uh, I know people, speaking of pesca, I know people um, bet on um, popes. Yes, Who popes. will be the popes. Yep. Pope is a big that, one. That's a big pool. I, I looked at a bunch of lists, but the two last ones are my favorites. Wife carrying, yeah. which is another one of those 
local village sports things where you carry your wife and ferret bingo. What? What is ferret bingo? Do the the ferrets go on the bingo card? Do they pick the balls? What do they do? They pick the balls. They pick the the letters. Yeah. The numbers. Ferret bingo. Wow. (laughs) Bog smork. Bob? Bog snorkeling and ferret bingo may also be the name of the episode. I know there's a lot of betting uh, on frog jumping. Yes. I mean, if people, if it's competitive, people will bet on it. Yeah. And now with the prevalence of prop betting in sports, it's. You can bet on anything. They, yeah. They can make a pool for, if there's two people willing to put money on it. Yep. They'll be like, I bet you this guy will score a touchdown in the first 30 seconds of the game. Yeah. I bet you that guy's shoes will come untied before. Halfway. Yeah, stuff yeah, like that. I mean, you can really bet on whatever. Weird stuff like that. Okay. I, I want to watch Ferret Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> so the the boondoggles continue because now East uh, Osborne is in town. And Marple, we have the, I've brought you all here today. Marple leads him on a merry chase. Yes. So she takes him, first of all, to uh, Venable's house. Venable's house. And gives him the line of, there's a real polio victim who he sends to the doctor in his place. Yes. But I love really, how, it's Lejeune I love, inside. I love how they completely derogatorily talk about twins. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, Christy used twins. <laughs> no, that's one of the rules. Yeah. You can't use, you can't use uh, identical twins yeah. in your plots. Yeah. Nope. But there's twins in the hotel one. My, Hotel. my favorite is that Lejeune wears the same jaunty scarf as Venables when he pretends to be yes, him. He does. And they laugh with each other. They're like, hee, hee, hee. It that all- is, is the, uh, the young one's yeah, right meal there. right there. It would only have been better if Venables was a woman yeah. and Lejeune had to put like rollers in his hair <laughs> and a house dress on. That would have been even better. So then, and she does this, and you said this before we started recording, and you're right. Marple is so brave here. Yes. Because at any minute, Osborne could kill her. Yeah, he could think because she's figured is, it out. He is a maniac. And they're alone in yep. the dark. Yeah. Even when they're in the hotel and they're about to do the denouement scene and she's like, you have to come in at just the right moment. Yeah. He could just push her down the stairs. Just push her down the stairs. But Lejeune gets really the spotlight. Well, he's the opening act. Yeah. Lejeune's the opening act, so he explains everything as if Venerables is the bad guy. And like they're all in on it. I love how Venerables is like Venables. Venables is not laughing here. No. He has to act as if Oh he's really? Like, he's like bah, 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 bah. Really? <laughs> they do such Me? a good, yeah. I did it? Oh, okay. You know, as soon as you see Lejeune kind of hand it over to Marple and not be like, listen, old lady, shut up. I'm doing my job here, you yeah. know they're in on it together. Yeah. They both know exactly what's happening. And also Mrs. Gray knows right away that the is way up. Oh, well, she Insta. thinks they're in trouble. Yeah. That they've been caught because yeah. they're killing people or pretending to kill people. Anyway, she thinks the three of them are about to be in trouble. And then Sybil's like, what? <laughs> people actually died? What? <laughs> Sybil is like, what do you mean? And she's like, how do you think this happened? Bella's like, I I really do kill people. Yeah. Anyway. I kind of kill people. Molly, 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 molly. <laughs> so then it... It gets the Kanga. I'm sorry. Um, it gets turned on Osborne. Osborne, mm-hmm. and he goes insane. You're an interfering old witch. I'm gonna tell you. Yes. <laughs> like, whoa, dude. Yeah, interfering old wench. 
he killed a priest yep. in cold blood thoroughly. Yeah. He's a maniac and not but like us. Apparently he not killed his good. parents. This guy's body count is numerous. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's just the people who um, Mrs. Davis knows about, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, plus the captain, that's 10. ten. Uh, plus he and attempted go, murder. And, and the um, priest, Marple. that's 11, plus his parents, that's 13. Plus attempted murder on Marple. He, he's a serial killer. Yeah, he's horrific, and he does it all for money. Why is he living in a boarding, boarding house? house? <laughs> he doesn't want to flaunt it, you know. I guess. People might start to question Wench. where he got all the money. Yep. Uh, and he, right to the very last minute, he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then, oh, yes, I Like a switch. Yep. Yeah. Captain Cottom is the best corpse. Oh, he is fantastic. He's like, ricked his face. Yeah. <laughs> he does a great job. I mean, we don't even have to debate it. No, he's the best corpse. <laughs> After the credits, Easterbrook and Ginger get to go be in love. Oh. There was a weird thing. I was thinking about this. There is a history of marble characters who match make people and then run away. Mm-hmm. And it happens here. Yeah. It happens all the time in Poirot. Like, too. oh, they're in love. I can go now. Yeah. And Marple says that um, Thurza and Bella and Sybil will just get on their with their brooms and, their broomsticks. and fly away in yeah. the night or something. They'll just disappear. What was up with that weird story about how they got the inn? She broke her pelvis and laid there all night suffering. In the cold. Sex. In the cold. <laughs> That was just Sybil being weird. Sybil being weird. You don't do this kind of thing if you're not a little weird. Yeah, already. And Mrs. Gray and Sybil went in together to buy the inn, and yet Mrs. Gray's like, I own it. Doesn't even like acknowledge that Sybil is a co-owner or whatever. Now, I also think that Kanga and the housekeeper, mm -hmm. in a completely non-romantic or relationship way, end up together living in that house. Well, yeah, because they both loved him. They're both widows and they both loved him mm -hmm. and i think they'll support each other that they'll support each other yeah i think so too because heart mrs harsnet was never like i'm sleeping with your husband neener, neener, neener. No, no. it was some kind of arrangement that they all agreed on so it was weird but maybe we should read the book I, I i think i seem to remember in another version of this or maybe it's from the book and i'm remembering it from there that um kanga has a physical issue yeah and that's what i and she knew that, I and can, he knew that. I can and, only think it's that, but it's of that male gaze of, well, I have to have daily sex. Yeah. Which is So we need some kind crazy. of arrangement, which yeah. is just stupid. But yeah. yeah. All right. I have two horrible films for you. Horrible movies. I have one that's scary. Yes. And one that's not scary. Yes. We will start with the one that's not scary. Okay. It's from 2006. And Kanga. Kanga's in it. Holly Valance. Stars, stars in, this movie. in this movie. 40 bikinis were destroyed in the making of this movie. Okay. The best review I could find for it is, this is the best movie adaptation of a video game so far. <laughs> it's on the poster. Like, that's the best quote. That's the best review they could get. So far. The world's best fighters are invited to DOA, an invitational martial arts contest. There, four female rival fighters will have to work together to uncover the secret that the organizer of the tournament is trying to hide. I'm going to ask you a question, and you're going to laugh at me. Mm -hmm. Does this involve beach volleyball? 
No. Okay. They're martial arts fighters. Okay. It's like um, uh, Mortal Kombat, but all the fighters are women. But there's a dead or alive video game that is beach volleyball from the characters who are in a fighting game. So is it dead or alive? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but have you ever seen it? No, I've never okay. seen that. So who... Is it is it match point null? Yeah, I'd say it's null because okay. I know the movie. Okay. But I'd never seen it. Okay. Plus well, you said the title. I did. I forgot that. I <laughs> the other one's better. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll just pretend that one never happened. Okay. Anyhow, you can leave it in. <laughs> Linda Barron is in this movie. She plays the lodging house owner. Somebody, one of, one of the people on Instagram mentioned that we should do an outtake show and... I was. They, you they leave asked, them in. They they asked if we had any outtakes. I mentioned that I had hundreds of hours of outtakes. Though sometimes you leave them in, they should be outtakes, sometimes and you leave them I in. Leave them in. So okay, movie number two. Movie number two. This is a horror movie. Linda Barron is in this. She plays the lodging house owner. You okay. recognize her as soon as you see her. You know, okay. she's like, if I knew anything, I would tell you. I love how Marple says, but you know, women have an intuition about these things. She gives her she gives her credit for yeah. knowing things. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, she like spills the beans yeah. about all kinds of and stuff. And that's pure Christy right there. As a young child, Jack the Ripper's daughter witnesses him kill her mother. Okay. As a young woman, she carries on the murderous reign of her father. A psychiatrist tries to cure her with tragic consequences. 1971. Okay, so this is a paired movie with a movie called Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. (laughs) Which is as horrific as you can imagine. But what's it called? Because poor Dr. Jekyll turns into a woman who's a serial killer who doesn't like clothes. Yeah. (laughs) This movie is... I've seen it. I know I've seen it because the, you, they're always talked about together. Mm-hmm. And all I can think of is like Jack's daughter or the daughter of the Ripper or something like that. Hands of the Ripper. Hands of the Ripper. Yes. The I hands dev- of Jack the Ripper live again as his fiendish daughters kills again. Yes. And again. And again. I think she- Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I think she, and again, <laughs> I think she may also have trouble keeping her clothes on in this. In that probably, moment. she's probably yeah. naked when she kills her psychiatrist. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> that again, I almost gave it away by saying it was Jack the Ripper, but it was like you got to remember Hands of the Ripper. Yeah, it's not Ripper Junior. I may or have Daughter seen of that, Ripper or whatever. But I may have seen it, but it's difficult to get it separated from all the Dr. other Jekyll Sister Hyde. <laughs> Which we've talked about before, too. (laughs) There were so many characters, so many actors in The Pale Horse who were in Midsummers. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. That I didn't even look at their filmography because I know we've talked about them before. And if they were in something horrible, we would have mentioned it before. 40 bikinis were destroyed in the making of DOA, Dead or Alive. (laughs) Yeah, that whole video game series. And it's just problematic, the whole thing. Kanga, Holly Valance is her name. Yeah. Like, this is the most clothes she's ever worn in a role. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Like every other role she plays, she is like bikini fighter lady. Oh, okay. And like she's very like a Laura Croft kind of actress. Oh, cool. This is like a super conservative, you know, she wears a little suit and stuff. It's, People do different things. It's a, it's a, it's an odd role for her. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the other roles she's played. I mean, she does a great job, but yeah. yeah if, if you want to know about really schlocky movies, she's been in some. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I remember thinking Mrs. Gray looks familiar. Yeah, and uh, of course she does. She's Pauline Collins. She's been in a ton of things. But what I remembered her from was those little pursed lips that she makes. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what role she played where she used those pursed lips? No. She was Queen Victoria in Doctor Who with David Tennant. Oh, that's right. She, she is. Was. She we was. are not amused. Yes. All right. So that's the pale horse. Absolutely. Next week we'll have. Our no interview. homework next week. You don't have to watch anything. No, nope. unless an interview- you have a question for yep. Jude that you want to send us about Father Brown, uh, Boniface, Shakespeare and Hathaway, or anything else that she's written. Yep. Yep. Send those in. We'll be happy to ask her. You can her. find us on Facebook, uh, the Twitters, inter- Instagram, and emails, of course. Uh, if you're listening or watching on YouTube, please take the time to like and subscribe and hit the bell. And on this spooky day, yes. if you hear mysterious drumming in your walls, it's your kids, y'all. Yep. Tell them to go to bed. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Have Halloween. Have a safe and wonderful Halloween. Spooky. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. By the way, if you haven't watched the last episode of the new Game of Thrones series, uh, Phil Daniels shows up out of nowhere. Oi! (laughs) Pond life? Yep. Park life. Park life.